0: section thirty five of stupor mundi the life and times of frederick the second by lionel alshorn this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela Nagami. chapter eighteen stupor mundi part two he was entirely oriental in his sexual conduct he may have been profoundly attached to bianca lancia or to one of his legitimate wives but their position was only that of the favoured sultana. They never enjoyed the monopoly of his embraces. He was not a hunter of women, surrounded by a bevy of complacent beauties who existed solely for his own pleasure. The wives of his subjects were safe from his regards. Yet this Orientalism, though less mischievous than the roving amorousness of a Charles II, is less easy to condone it is sensuality without sentiment devoid of the glamour of romance a mere satisfaction of erotic impulse or bodily appetite rather than ardent passion or impetuous desire it is unforgivable in one of his enlightened mind we may concede that his morality was not lower than that of his age but we cannot deny that he transgressed the bounds of that license which if we would be tolerant We must regard as the peculiar privilege of princes. To the men of his own country, these faults in Frederick's character were ordinary enough. They were the sins that might be laid to the charge of any ruler, great or small, in medieval Italy. But there was an offence which, in the eyes of a superstitious age, was far more grievous than these. It is not for lewdness or cruelty or treachery that Dante consigns Frederick to hell but for unbelief. The poet, imperialist though he was, cannot ignore the accusation which was made against the emperor by his enemies, which was confirmed by his own hasty and scornful words. Frederick is an illustrious hero, his character is of nobility and righteousness, but nevertheless, because he doubted the eternal truths, his portion is among the heresiarchs in hell how far the popular impression of his scepticism was correct it is of course impossible to determine it is unlikely that he was an atheist for when he realised that the hand of death was upon him he said the will of god be done we may believe however that a mind of such broad and catholic culture could not but revolt against the narrow dogma of the church that mingling in himself the civilization of both Christendom and Mohammedanism, he viewed the two religions with a certain detachment, and regarded with impatience the claim of either to exclusive infallibility, that to his scientific and inquiring mind any sharply defined doctrine would be unacceptable, especially when it contained so large an element of superstition as the religious belief of his day unprovoked by the papal enmity he might have veiled his opinions in discreet silence but harassed beyond measure by an unjust persecution he was occasionally stung into deriding the religion of which his arch enemy was the earthly head to have endorsed these hasty utterances before the world by a public confession of his unorthodoxy would have involved him and his house in immediate and irretrievable ruin It was not to be expected that he would gratify the pope and surrender all for which he had struggled by thus encompassing his own destruction such a suicide would have been a black crime in his eyes a betrayal of his high charge as the guardian of the imperial heritage as the champion of mankind against the tyranny of the popes he did not hesitate therefore when publicly charged with the awful sin of heresy to refute that charge by a vigorous assertion of his implicit faith in the tenets of christianity we may even believe that he made this assertion in all good faith that he considered it incumbent upon him in his public capacity to uphold and maintain a religion which was inextricably mingled with social order and human virtue only in the light of this belief can we understand his persecution of heretics for we may dismiss far from our minds the suspicion of odious hypocrisy which that persecution would otherwise fasten upon his name it is always more easy to define the vices of a man than his virtues the vices of frederick can be exemplified by material things his licentiousness by the harem that he maintained for his pleasure his cruelty by the leaden cope said to be his own invention under the weight of which his victims slowly wearied to death for his greater qualities we must look with a wider view must envisage his whole life we must note that fine pride which enabled him to resist the allurements of a life of peacefulness and cultured ease and to end his days in ceaseless warfare and toil we must regard the all-powerful intellect the mind freed from the trammels of religious bigotry the enlightened measures for the prosperity and mental elevation of his people how far in him the good exceeded the evil the light triumphed over the darkness may be gathered from the men who were his friends the saintly louis of france found in him more righteousness than in the vicar of christ hermann van salze a man of blameless life and lofty reputation was his loyal friend and trusty servant as long as he lived berard the Archbishop of Palermo, against whose name there was no breath of calumny, clung to his side through excommunication and deposition, never denied to him the sacred offices forbidden by the Pope, absolved him on his deathbed, and buried him with the full rights of the Church. Even that Pope, who summoned in Charles of Anjou to extirpate his house, could call him the noble Frederick, and extol his government of the kingdom but perhaps the most eloquent witness of the admiration he excited in his day lies in the words of one who should have been peculiarly bitter in his condemnation was a minorite friar a member of an order which was relentless in its antagonism to the emperor and which therefore met with the severest repression at his hands this chronicler speaks first as a friar should speak of one who was under the ban of the church of faith in god he had none he was crafty wily avaricious lustful malicious and wrathful but having thus enumerated frederick's vices he straightway relents and continues and yet a gallant man at times when he would show his kindness or courtesy full of solace jocund delightful fertile in devices he knew to read write and sing and to make songs and music he was a comely man and well made, though of middle stature. I have seen him, and once I loved him. Moreover, he knew to speak many and varied tongues, and to be brief, if he had been rightly Catholic and had loved God and his church, he would have had few emperors his equals in the world. Yet this emperor has left little visible impression upon the history of the world. So little, indeed, that in England at least, the memory of him has almost vanished from the popular mind and when the name of frederick the second is spoken it is of his prussian namesake of a later age that men think a monarch of far lesser genius and smaller soul the work that frederick had been able to accomplish in his kingdom was utterly destroyed by the invaders who came in answer to the papal call the land fell back into darkness and confusion almost every trace of him was swept away as for the empire there had been little enough work in that wider sphere that he had been allowed to do the papacy had seen to that she knew better than to give him leisure to consolidate the imperial sway frederick maintained the glory of the empire during his reign by his personal renown he even extended its territories but it was diseased at the heart It rested for its security upon the power of the german throne and that had been fatally weakened by the long anarchy that had preceded frederick's accession he had been unable to remedy that weakness because all his energies had been absorbed in his struggle against the papacy and the popes meanwhile had encouraged the turbulent princes of germany in sedition and had finally by raising a rival emperor to frederick rent germany in twain with frederick's death and the extinction of his house the whole fabric of the empire collapsed and the policy of the papacy came to its triumph frederick was thus the last of the great mediaeval emperors the great interregnum which ensued in germany after his death lasted for over twenty years finally rudolf of hapsburg built from the ruins of the imperial power a precarious lordship of germany which he dignified by the name of empire but meanwhile sicily had passed to the house of anjou the city-states of northern italy had secured a complete independence and burgundy had turned to france the empire of the habsburgs was but a shadow of the empire of the hohenstaufens frederick has been denied the title of great but he has merited the gratitude of mankind most of all should englishmen who hold themselves to be lovers of those who fight in the cause of liberty remember his name with reverence and admiration for frederick though an autocrat was yet a champion of freedom he strove manfully and with unwavering courage against that priestly tyranny which menaced all europe in his age wherever that tyranny has triumphed there have followed evil oppression and intolerance the decay of nations and the abuse of power england was saved from this or at least from the danger of this by frederick the second she suffered grievously enough at the hands of the popes under her feeble kings john and henry the third but if frederick had not combated the papal ambitions with all his power drawn upon himself the full force of the papal fury and resisted the might of his enemy to the end then the lot of england would have been immeasurably worse if once the great dragon had been crushed, then assuredly the little basilisks would have been trodden underfoot. But when Frederick had been overcome by death, when his race had been extinguished, and by the time another pope had arisen of the stamp of Gregory IX and Innocent IV, and Edward I had appeared on the throne of England, and a Philip IV on the throne of France, the nations were strong and the opportunity of the popes had passed. In his strife with the papacy, then, lie at once the tragedy and the crown of Frederick's life. The tragedy, since being by nature so wonderfully endowed to govern a realm in peace and glory, he was yet denied the expression of his genius. The crown, in that he did with his might the thing that his right hand found to do. And if a temple should ever be raised. To the memory of those who have struggled for the freedom of man, then Frederick should find a high place in the sanctuary, and upon his image should be engraven the words that he himself uttered Let those who shrink from my support have the shame as well as the galling burden of slavery. Before this generation, and before the generations to come, I will have the glory of resisting this tyranny. End of section thirty five. Recording by Pamela Nagami in Encino, California, in April two thousand and nineteen. End of Stupor Mundi The Life and Times of Frederick the Second, Emperor of the Romans, King of Sicily and Jerusalem, eleven ninety four to twelve fifty by Lionel Allshorn.